Hallelujah. Begin to speak in tongues for me. Bisavandi sova varasive dembre kisa vanda rasada. Lerebede besanda kavaradi savamratasa. Leredemba kavaravasa. In the name of Jesus. I believe that all of us need brothers and sisters that will stand with us in difficult times and they will also stand with us in times of prosperity because there are some brothers that are with you in the days of adversity but in the day of plenteousness they abandon you and leave you as a good brother amen now this is a conference that is gathered to help God's people develop themselves in certain capacities and potentials. Amen. I'd like to teach on a very simple subject. I'm preaching on the subject I've entitled the heroes of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, the book of Hebrews is debated on a number of times. I want to first of all begin by saying that when the elders of the early church were putting together the various books that should be canonized into the Bible, there were a number of books that they almost removed them from the Bible. One of them is the book of James. Because the book of James almost taught that salvation must be faith plus works. And it was universally believed, which is still believed anyway, that salvation is by faith alone, not faith plus works. But James almost taught that salvation is faith plus works. Because it says, if you have faith and it's not having works, then your faith is dead. So they had to reschedule the date for the book of James and another book that they had a certain sense of controversy on was the book of Hebrews because when we go through the book of Hebrews and we go to the chapter 6 it almost teaches that a person can lose his salvation. Now if you study church history you realize that it is the main reason why they didn't want to add the book to the Bible because that portion of the Bible almost taught that your salvation can be lost which I'm not here to teach anyway. I'm just giving you a background of the book. And another reason why they were a little bit skeptic or they were a little bit relaxed about the book of Hebrews was that almost all the books are identifiable by their authors. You look at the book of Romans, Paul begins by saying Paul Apostle and a servant of Jesus Christ. Every single book, including Acts, Romans, Matthew, you find the author in until you go to the book of Hebrews. That's where you find out that the author is not identified. He simply begins the book by saying God who at sundry times and in diverse ways spoken to our fathers through the prophets has in these last days spoken to us through his dear beloved son. And he goes through the whole book without introducing himself. And so it's one of the books that the authors are not actually known but personally I believe that it was either written by Apollos or it was written by Paul. Because as I begin to go through I find certain indicators of Paul within it like at the end of it he tells them that Timothy he speaks about Timothy and again he gives them a Pauline greeting which is grace to you. And Paul is the one who does that. Again, the other reason why I believe that it could be Apollos is because in the book of First Corinthians, Apollos was compared with Paul and was compared with Jesus. And I don't know why he didn't write books because when you look at the book of Acts, he said he was a mighty man, so intelligent, so eloquent, that he had mastery over the scriptures. Do you know what that means? Now in the book of First Corinthians, we find out that the church had been torn apart as some were saying that I belong to Paul. Others will say, I belong to Jesus, and others said, I belong to Apollos. What do you think that means? I mean, the Paul wrote 13 books. If you should add this book, he wrote 14 books in the New Testament. 
A church is saying we don't like Paul, we like Apollos. Do you think it's a small man? And so the authorship of the book is not actually known. We don't know who wrote it, but I personally believe that it's Apollos or Paul. Others say it's Clement of Rome. Others also say it's Luke and others. It could also be Luke anyway because of how he introduces the book. Amen. Now let's quickly go to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1. It says that, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In biblical studies or in the interpretation of the text of scripture, there are a lot of principles in interpreting scripture. I may be introducing you to a lot of them as we begin to open verse by verse. We are going to look at the whole book of Hebrews chapter 11 from the first verse to the last verse. But there is something that I personally realized sometimes we do to a lot of scriptures is that we pick one particular verse out of isolation, then we build a doctrine on it. Do you see that? For instance, there's a scripture in the book of Philippians chapter 2 that says that work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Have you seen it before? It almost teaches that, you know, we are supposed to do the work. The next verse says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He said, work it out, but you know what? It is God who even gives you grace to work it out. But when we take the next verse out of it, we will interpret the previous verse wrongly. So we have a principle called the principle of context. That we are saying that not only in terms of interpretation of the text of scripture, but any book that is written, we cannot fully understand the book until we read it in context. In context, we are trying to say, what is the author trying to communicate? And in trying to find out what the author is trying to communicate, sometimes we need to look at the text. By saying the text, our text is Hebrews chapter 1. In general, our text is Hebrews chapter 11. In specifics, our text is Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Then we look at the pretext. When we say pretext, pretext is the text that comes before the text we are using. Our pretext will be in general Hebrews chapter 10. Because now he says that now. Why are you saying now? It means that you have already told us a lot of things that you are now coming to give us an example. So we have the text, we have the pretext, and we have the post-text. So if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, you see that he begins by telling us, Now therefore, since we are so encompassed with a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets us and run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. The word author there means the beginner. It means Jesus began our faith, is the one who ends our faith. So that is our post text. Do you understand? Now, the book of Hebrews has a number of themes in it and the main idea behind the writing of the book was that somebody said the book of Hebrews was written by a Hebrew for other Hebrews so that those other Hebrews will stop behaving like Hebrews. It was written by a Hebrew for other Hebrews to tell those Hebrews to stop behaving like Hebrews. Now, there were a number of things that were going on amidst the Hebrews and when you look at the text you realize that these were Hebrews that were not in Jerusalem or in Judea. I think maybe they were in Rome or in Spain, somewhere around there. And the Hebrews that were there, some of them were facing persecutions and difficult times. And again, let's say if we take all of us as Hebrews, amidst us, they also had a group of Hebrews that had accepted that oh, it's true that Jesus really came to die, but they are not believing Jesus. And they had another third group of people who didn't believe in any of the facts about Jesus and didn't believe in Jesus himself. So there were three audiences. And the book writes to all these three people. And the main idea is to strengthen believers on the fact that Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of God. So he starts from telling about the Old Testament. Even the verse 1, he says God in previous time was speaking through prophets and a lot of people. And now he has spoken to us through his son. Then he comes down who is the express image of his person. So the whole book he's writing is to prove to the Jews that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then while he's going, when he gets to chapter 10, verse 19... 
he changes by talking about the fact that some of the Hebrews that are living there are going through persecution for their faith. And because of the persecution that they are going through, some of them have neglected their work of faith and had gone back into Judaism. That is, don't you pick, wash yourself, do ablutions. You know the ablution Muslims do are what actually Jews do. And those are ceremonial things. On this day, you have to do this and all of that. If not, example, let's use our settings so that you understand. If you wear trousers, you go to hell. If you don't cover your hair, you go to hell. God will hear your prayer. If you are not baptized, you will go to hell. Then we ask questions about the guy who died on the cross. So we realized that they were going back because they were being persecuted and certain Jews had risen and they were teaching things and some of them were attacking them. So a lot of them abandoned the Christian faith and they ran back into Judaism. So let's go to chapter 10, verse 35. Why is telling them that cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. He's saying, do not cast away your confidence in Christ because one day you will receive a reward from it. Verse 36. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Underline the word promise there. Then he goes on. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. He's talking about Christ. And then he goes on. Now the just shall live by faith. The one who uses this statement is Paul. That's why when I began, I was saying that he uses it in the book of Romans. He used it again in the book of Galatians. And Paul is the one who used this thing. So this statement is used three times in the New Testament. And this is the third time it is used here. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. I'm talking about the heroes of faith, right? Now, the believer has no other life than the life of believing. They start dying when they stop believing. They stop receiving when they stop believing. So Paul is telling them that there are rewards prepared for men who walk in faith. And he's telling them that do not cast away this confidence. Why? In due season, you shall reap rewards of faith. So he's beginning the whole thing. The whole Hebrews 11 starts from here. The verse 35. And it gets to 38. It said the just shall live by faith. That the conclusion of the whole matter is this. That's one thing that distinguishes Christianity from Islamic religion, from Buddhism, from Sikhism, from Confucianism. Joseph Smith, the Jehovah Witnesses, is this key ingredient that the just shall live. This one thing is what binds Christianity and makes it what it is. That the just lives by faith. Do you know that everything Jesus preached to the end, he says this. Faith, have faith in me. They asked him, Master, why couldn't we cast out this? He said, because of your unbelief. Almost every time Jesus handled a situation, he handled it by telling them that you don't have it because you don't believe it. You know what? A lot of you have boxed God into monthly salary. That's why you are poor. Because the Bible says that just shall live by faith. You have put your faith in 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, that there will be an alert. So, the man has put his faith in his government salary that the only way he can build the only way he can own, the only way he can buy, the only way he can run the ministry is when it gets to 25th, 26th, 27th, 30th, where he receives some amount of money from the government. And the moment he builds that kind of ideology, that is what Paul calls strongholds, that he has built a system around it, and because of that, God now becomes boxed to giving to him at all hours because now he has told God, according to his faith, which he lives by, that the only time I receive a financial income is 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th. 
when he forgets that Jesus in teaching his followers to pray he said when you pray tell God to give you your daily bread he said give us this day our daily bread listen you can receive finances every day that's how I live and I'm not lying you know how people just want to lie so that they prove a point to people you get the idea but I'm saying that Jesus said that you evil men know how to give good gifts to your children how much more your father which is heaven he's contrasting between man and God who is in heaven and he said when you pray understand that you have a father in heaven and this father has the ability of giving you food every single day now again it is said in the book of Psalms he said the mercies of God they are renewed daily again he said in the book of Lamentations chapter 3 that it is of the lost mercies that we are not confused for his mercies are new every morning how many times that God visits us every morning but a man can limit the power of God so Hebrews says the just does live by faith. In other words, he's trying to say that the whole occupation of a believer is this, that he lives by faith. You can own a house by faith. You can build a ministry by faith. You can get married by faith. You can give birth by faith. He said, unto him that believes, there shall be a performance. He says, the just does live by faith. What does it mean? He takes faith out, he's dead. If God doesn't help you, you are finished. And God has ordained that the way I help men is by faith. Let me tell you something. Before the fall of Adam, men were living by faith. After the fall of Adam, men moved from being faith dependent to becoming man dependent. In the sense that he said, now the man knows good and evil, now he can do whatever he wants to do. And so, the only time a man can receive from God is when the man decides to enlist himself in the school of faith. And the author of Hebrews begins to tell us and he gets to the 38. He said, the just shall live by faith. But if any man draws himself back, my soul shall have no pleasure. If a man comes to God and believes God for his finances, but does not believe God that even though he was born and he had no fingers, and God can heal him and give him new fingers, God says, my soul shall have no pleasure in giving him fingers because he only believes I can prosper him financially. He doesn't believe I can heal him of HIV. And because he doesn't believe, do I love him? Yes. Would he have results? No. Because he has limited me by faith. 39. But we are not of them who draw back. He says, if a man turns back, God will have no pleasure. But brethren, we are not those guys who draw back. After we have come to know much about God, we don't turn back. What do we do? Unto perdition. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things. This is why he says now. He's talking about a whole lot of things. He said now. That I can believe God for something I have not seen. For something I have not experienced. Against all odds. He says faith is the substance. Now what the author is using in the verse 1. The faith is the substance of things, the evidence of things. Evidence there is the same as substance. He's using the principle of repetition. That he has mentioned something so that whoever does not understand the first line will understand the second line. It's a form of literature. The same statement in the first line is the same statement in the second line. That he's simply saying that faith gives us an assurance of things we don't have yet. Not just any kind of assurance that the thing is not here, but I live my life as if the thing is here. There is God. He said, for by it, what happened to the elders? He said, the elders obtained a good report. And now he's about to tell us the good report the elders obtained. 
And every one of these elders is about to tell us what they obtained. Now, when you go through this book, you find out that the elders is listening actually the 24 elders. Most of the time, people say, oh, the 24 elders, 12 are in the Old Testament, 12 in the New Testament. But that's not actually the whole idea. Because the New Testament, apostles are not called elders. They are called apostles. In heaven, there will be 12 apostles. And it's now about to tell us that the elders obtained a good report. The report there is not like God said nice things about them, but rather a good reward. Report there is, by faith, our elders received evidences of what was promised them. So let's go to verse 3. He said, true faith. Now, we are going to be noticing by faith, true faith. First of all, let me explain what true faith and by faith is. By faith means that faith is being used to create something that is not there. True faith means that faith is being used to receive something, to do a transaction of something that is already there. But it's not with me. So you find out you use true faith by faith. By faith means the thing is not there, I'm creating it. True faith is the thing is there, has been promised, and I'm receiving it. So we receive through faith, we create by faith. Example, salvation is received through faith. It's not received by faith. He said it is by grace, through faith. Is it not your Bible? By grace, through faith. We receive it because we didn't create it. It is already there and it's given it to us. But when I use faith to receive my finances or to create my finances or to create a certain sense of results, I'm using by faith. Let's go to verse 3. Through faith, what happened? We understand that the walls were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. He's saying that the walls were created by faith and through faith. Next verse. Now he's telling us the first elder. The first elder is not Adam. The first elder is Abel. The first heir of salvation is this guy. He said, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now notice that, you know that when we're in Sunday school, they told us the story. But that's not actually the truth. The reason God accepted Abel's offering was that, he's saying that by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice sacrifice than Cain. Why was his sacrifice excellent? Because of faith. The reason Abel's offering was more excellent than Cain was because Abel had his own mixed with faith. Cain had his own mixed with doubt. He said, ah, no one has ever offered a sacrifice before. Who does that? Does God even need meat? Let me just find some fruit or something and just go and hang it over to God and find my place and go and sit. But Abel said, God, if you have said you need an animal, let me just give it anyway. Believing in what you have said, you are going to give to me if I give. So Abel was giving an offering unto God because God demanded it and God made a promise to him that he will be an heir of salvation. The guy had not seen because as we begin to read, we'll find out. The guy had not seen it, but the thing was promised and he said, Lord, you are saying that me, I'll become the topic of the nations. You mean that a time is going to come, I'll be pastoring a mega church? He said, yes. He said, but I don't see it now. He said, just do it. And when the time comes, I, the Lord, I will perform it. And Abel woke up the next day and said, if God has promised and I've not seen it, I'm going on to do it. And that is why the author begins by saying, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He said, by faith, Abel did that. What happened? That he was righteous. How was he righteous? Was it by his do's and don'ts? No. By faith. Abel's righteousness was a gift imputed on him just because he believed in that which was spoken by God. And he says, and what happened to him? God testifying of his gifts and 
by age, being dead, yet speaking. Verse 5. He's going to the second elder. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. We will talk about death very soon. In the Hebrew or in the Greek, the generic terms, the word to translate means to metamorphose. You understand metamorphosis? Where this thing is changing into another thing. And that is exactly what he's using. He says, Enoch was translated that he should not taste death. He should not see death. John chapter 11. Now in the New Testament, we are promised that when we believe in Christ, we will not taste death. That the death that we actually see is not death, but it is sleep. And Enoch was promised. God literally came to Enoch and said, believe in me, you will not die. He said, really? He said, he that believes in me, out of me, shall flow rivers of living waters. He shall never taste again. Enoch said, really? He said, yes. He said, I believe. I will not die. He said, the day he believed, he was translated from being a mortal man to being a spiritual man. He said, that he should not see death and was not found. When a man comes to Christ, what happens to him? He said, behold, if a man be in Christ, a new creature. That's what happened to Enoch. He was not found because his former state was buried and a new estate was given to him. So if a man went looking for a drunk Enoch, they went and found out that the drunkard was no more. The fornicator was no more. Because by faith, he received ability and transformation in his body and in his spirit and in his soul. That he was taken away by God. And in the New Testament, by faith, we will not taste death and we will not see death. Because you know what? The whole Hebrews chapter 11, he's telling us these guys, Krampono, they were just trying to show us the real thing that we are about to experience. And that's why I'm interpreting new creation realities from Enoch. He said, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Then from there, he says, please God. Now, context, he's telling us why he pleased God. Let's go to verse 6. Why did Enoch please God? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. A lot of people are trying to do, I don't wear this, I don't use this, I don't go here. I mean, if I wear this thing, if I talk this way, I will not please God. But he's saying that the only way a man can please God is by faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. He said, why? For he that comes to God means that a lot of times will come where we will come to God. A man will always come to God and will find out that in his coming to God, God has already set parameters there. That if a man will ever come to me for salvation of any form, whether in healing, whether in prosperity, whether in ministry, that he needs my help in any area of life, the first parameter is that he must believe that I am God. Maybe you didn't get it. He said, a man cannot receive from me if he doesn't believe that I am God. Why is that so? Because without a true understanding of the whole doctrine of God, we will not have much of him. And we're going to look at what he begins to talk about by saying he must believe that he's God. Listen, my understanding of the fact that God gives me money every day is the reason he gives me money every day. Because I know he can do it. The reason a lot of people have not received much from God is because they don't believe he can do it. And that's why he's saying, you must believe that I am God. You know what God is. Maybe in Sunday school you learned that he was omnipotent, all power. There is nothing he can do. Without that understanding, you cannot receive from God. And said, must believe that he is. The word he is there is that, that he is God. He's referring back to the God that he used there. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Because the Bible says God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
And the Bible commands us to seek God early while he may be found. We may make a number of mistakes as we begin to walk with God and as we begin to follow him. But you know what? There will come a time we will master our work with God. We will have the results he has promised. You know, it took Abraham 25 years to master listening to God. 25 years. I mean, it took Abraham 25 years to believe that he could have a son. He believed in every other thing, but he didn't believe that God, I could have a son. You know what? God has made certain promises for us. But a number of them, we have not grown enough to be able to believe that he can do. We will make mistakes, but don't give up on us. We will master faith. We will walk in faith. I mean that a time is coming when people come to church. Ushers will be the one raising the dead. I mean, they will carry the sick to the church building, the entrance of the church building. We will be busy doing other things. And the ushers said, we need to see the prophet. You know, we need to say, what, what is wrong? He said, ah, my mom's. She had an accident. The knee is broken. It has dislocated. Is it really? Is it sit down, mommy? Is in the name of Jesus? I command this knee to be straightened. And immediately it comes. Then it's hey, Bishop. He said, No, I'm no bishop. I am just an author in church. In fact, I just became an author last week. But I have been taught on how to receive and command results by faith. May God reward us through faith. May we receive the rewards of faith. The things that are promised by faith. Give us the next verse. Now he is done with Enoch, right? Say Enoch, please God. And he's not telling why Enoch, please God. By faith. Let's go to the next verse. Noah. I wish I could dwell on Noah. When I was reading Hebrews 11, I was crying. I was shaking. I just couldn't believe the story they are telling him. Because he goes down, down, and says that these guys still could not receive that which was promised. Let's continue. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not yet seen, moved with fear. Faith makes us to move with fear. By faith, what did Noah do? He moved with fear. Faith makes us to move with fear. And what did he do? He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he preached the gospel. The word condemned the word is he preached the gospel and became heir the righteousness which is do you know how many years it took Noah to build the ark 120 years think about it that you are waiting for something from God for 120 years have you read Genesis 6 he said the people that live in the time of Noah he said they sinned and sinned one person says they did evil 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 they drank it those guys were the ones that were killing babies I mean they kill babies they roast babies then God appears to him in day one and says, I'm coming to destroy the face of the earth. Preach the gospel to these people and build an ark. Preach to them that I'm coming to destroy the earth and build an ark. Think about these kind of people. And today when we are preaching the gospel, we are shy that people will criticize us. And that's why the author of Hebrews is writing. He's strengthening them in their Christian journey against criticism. And he's talking about Noah. He said, consider Noah. In a world like this, he built an ark. 120 years. 120 years in the face of wicked men. And every day they come and stand and laugh. You guys are the ones that say God spoke to you. Will God be somebody like you? Then 70 years later, they say, Hey, Noah, you are still building. They laugh. A lot of us, God has made promises to us. We have received prophecies. Five years. We haven't seen it. And we think God has failed us. Do you know 120 years? You are a joke. Who is serious? 120 years in a wicked world. I'm sure that Noah couldn't buy in town again. If he goes, they will start 
throwing stones at him. You are building a stupid thing in our backyard that God is going to destroy whichever. There may be hundreds here. Still, if you want to learn perseverance, Noah is the portrait of perseverance. I took Noah as my mentor. Let's keep going. Let's keep preaching. Now no one wants to listen to you because you cry and Charlie, when you sing, you are blowing the key and a whole lot of things and Charlie, even, you can't even quote my scripture. I mean, just keep going. Five years, keep going. Six years, keep going. The tenth year, keep going. The twentieth year, it could be on the thirtieth year, God will come through for you. Noah is my mentor. One twenty years, they laugh at him. One nineteen years, Four years old. You say, Place your hand on your head and say, Lord, grant us grace to carry on. We refuse to give up. I cannot give up now. Brother, you have been singing and singing for a while. No one is giving you anything. And you feel like, hey, when this guy he started right now and now he's holding conferences with thousands of people. Who cares? Look, I preached for years. And for these few years, I have seen God bless me on every side. And we still look at these things and we say, Lord, this is not what you promised. Sometimes I know that a lot of people, if they have gotten to where some of us have gotten to where, they would have become as proud as they are. Oh, yes. Sometimes they experience some slight opportunity. Then when they are going, they have some interact and some kind of cocotism. They say, what are I But sometimes God just gives us a full taste of the thing. Then he tells us, my son, hold on a little bit. Let me build you up. When the time has come, I will exalt you. I will make you mighty upon the earth. He said, ask of me as I give you the earth as an inheritance. The ends of the earth as a possession. And you think we are asking for this place? By faith! 119th year. The 120th year. The Bible says, and the heavens opened. There are people, the heavens are about to open on your life. And on your ministry. And you're going out. And on your family. The heavens are coming. Is that the heavens opened up? Then is that the flat days of heaven? They broke loose. I mean, by that time Noah and his family were already 120 years, nobody believed him. I mean, 120 years, not a single soul came to his church. Ah, uh, you didn't get me. said, God, are you sure you have called me? You even appeared to me on a mountain and I saw angels descending and I saw things in the spirit and I knew that I was conquering the nation in the next two years. But Lord, nothing has happened. I don't know if you have disappointed me. 120 years, not a single soul.
waiting, one twenty years. Say, my father, my maker. Say, my father, my father. As I begin to pray, oh Lord, oh Lord, grant me the spirit, grant me the spirit of perseverance. Whatever 
seed. I receive seed. I receive seed. I receive strength to conceive seed for my ministry, for my marriage, for my going out, for my coming out. Begin to holler prayer. Oh, 